The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani, call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue Baloo, you look great. How you feeling? Feeling good. I'm nice. a, in a crisp, white, man-tailored shirt. This is a first. A man-tailored shirt? What does that mean, well, a man-tailored shirt? A man-tailored shirt is a collared button-down. Oh, okay. Got it. Well, because so, I'm old. That's what they used to say. Oh, man, Taylor Chair. It's like, what era is that from? So uh, Stephen Wright is the guest today, which I'm incredibly excited about. One of the, I mean, without question, one of the greatest stand-up comics of all time. So I'm psyched about that. Sue, I think, let me mention this, first of all. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to our channel. That would be great. If you're listening, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and watch the moving pictures as we talk. And of course, <laughs> we're still on Apple and Spotify and all the normal places, but we've added the YouTube component and it's doing really well. And we're excited to have you watching. Okay. Now, Sue, I think I totally stole a bit from you and did it on my radio show yesterday. Uh oh. Well, that's a no no. So we were talking about. <laughs> And I think I might have mentioned your name. I think I said I stole this from Sue Kalinsky. So, so, uh, it's, we did a, a segment on the most outrageous reality shows that we could think of. And mine was there are 10 people living in a house. All of them need a liver. And as they get voted out of the house, they lose access to the, and the last person standing gets the liver. Now, did I steal that from you? Absolutely. And it's actually, you know, <laughs> it's actually a show, a scripted series that I'm that I'm developing with. Somebody. No way. So now Ramona had an idea for the name of the show. This may also come from you. For her, it was spontaneous. She was calling it Live or Die. That's the name of the show. Oh, God. So we stole the entire bit from you. Absolutely. Okay, I, I will make a, a public honor apology today. <laughs> you have to do a little addendum today. Although I do think I said I stole it from Sue Kalinsky. Okay. So I think that makes it okay. Well, the idea came up years ago when reality shows were in its infant stage. Right. And they were, and then, and then they started to get kind of ridiculous. Yes. And I said that at some point, this is the show that they're going to do. It's a great show. I think you should pitch it. I think you should take it out now. Uh, give, uh, give jaundice a big salute. That would be nice. <laughs> uh, well, that's no, the a, thing. Well, that's the thing. As the show goes on, people get progressively sicker. <laughs> and there's so actually twisted. in formaldehyde, what, where, however they keep a liver, you'll see it, you know, on set. So oh, they nice. know that that's what they're vying <laughs> with for. spotlights and stuff. And it's throbbing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great show. You should pitch that. <laughs> so, so I will credit, I will credit you today when I, when I do that. Yeah. I can't believe we even stole the title. I thought the title was fresh and new. 
No. But you had that too. All right. So with Stephen Wright coming on, you have asked that uh, that I prepare a joke, which we will not. I originally thought we're doing jokes for Stephen Wright. And now you've pointed out that that is a ridiculous concept. Oh, I think he would leave. <laughs> I'm out of here. All right. So I'm going to do mine first because it's not very elaborate. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Why did the scarecrow win an award? Oh, my God. Are you five? <laughs> he was outstanding in his field. Oh, my God. What do you think? Uh, well, it's cute if you're in elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dad joke. It's really the best. I don't hear, like, dirty jokes the way I used to. Now, well, it's not a, it's, dirty it's joke? Not, it, you know, it's not dirty jokes. And the reason why I wanted to do it. Not a, well, I, I thought it would be great because we're having Steven on. But when I was growing up in New York, yeah, everybody had a joke. Everybody, like I had a jokes. Joke. Everybody had a joke in their hip pocket. Um, you know, I, I would say every day someone would say, "Hey, I got a great joke for you." You know, really. And you know, my brothers, my parents, all their friends had jokes, so I grew up with that. Jokes are dead. People don't carry a joke in their hip pocket anymore. They don't. They don't. Okay, so this is this is my joke. All right. Can I so. tell one more? <laughs> okay. Okay. What happened when the two cannonballs got married? Are you reading this out of a book? They had BBs. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I went to Chad GTP. Oh no, Chad, you didn't. Yeah, PT. Yeah. Did and- you really? Yeah, and they gave me these jokes. Oh, my God. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully they just lived and died here. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. So you okay. got one in your hip pocket? I got a joke joke. Okay? okay. So this woman walks by a pet store every day on the way to work. Mm-hmm. And one day she's walking by and there's a parrot outside and he calls out, hey, lady. And she says, what? And he says, you're ugly. And she's like <laughs> totally taken aback. So she just walks away. Right. Next day, she walks by the same pet store, same parrots outside. And he says, hey, lady. And she says, what? And he says, you're ugly. She says, all right, this is ridiculous. So she goes into the pet store and she finds the owner and she says, look, every day I walk by this pet store and this parrot yells out, hey, lady, and tells me I'm ugly. And that's not nice. So he says, OK, don't worry about it. I'll talk to him. So he goes and says to the parrot, look, you cannot be, you can't insult this woman. Yeah. And if you do it one more time, yeah. I'm going to feed you to the cat. Next day, lady walks by and the parrot says, hey, lady. And she says, what? And he says, you know. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's mm-hmm. the one you keep in your hip pocket. Well, that's that's a joke that Tom has. That's like his new joke. So that's his go-to. This is his go-to. So I stole it from Tom. Is it going to open for you? (laughs) (laughs) That's a bill. (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) You know, Tom, Tom actually missed the boat in being a stand-up. Did he really? Well, well, I, in in my opinion, because Tom, he's very, very funny. He is a funny guy. I think he, you know, he was always funny as a kid. He was, he was the funniest in our group. He would have been a great, great stand-up. You know what I see? I don't, I would never be a stand up. I'm going to be honest here. I would never be a stand up. Uh, I would go to like the improv, uh, not the improv, the uh, 
what's the one, uh, Se- uh, Second City or one of those improv groups? Because that's really what my job is. is UCB or, um, or um, what else? Uh, oh, um, the Groundlings. The Groundlings, right. Because right. that's what that's what my joking around is. It's much more like improv-y than it is like rat-a-tat-tat. Okay. You know what I mean? Improv is hard. Yeah. No, it is. It is. But seriously, I do it. And I'll tell you, the biggest thing, uh, if you're going to be a guest host or a guest on the Mason and Ireland show, you better entertain every premise. Because if you don't entertain a premise, I am going to get a gigantic hook and I'm going to pull you right out of the studio. You accept those friggin' premises no matter what. Yeah, you got to go with it. You got to go with it. Exactly. All right. Well, here we go. This is uh, super exciting. Our guest today was named the, I wonder if he would like my scarecrow joke. Do you think? I don't think so. Okay. I won't do it then. (laughs) Our guest today was named the 15th greatest stand-up comedian of all time by Rolling Stone. He's also an Academy Award winner for Best Live Action Short. As an actor, he has worked with directors like Jim Jarmusch, Albert Brooks, Michael Moore, and Oliver Stone. And he's also a writer. His first novel is out now. It is called Harold, and it tells the story of a 1960s third grader on one single day of school. The great Stephen Wright joins us. Stephen, thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We love the book, uh, Harold, which I just finished, and it is so good. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. So are you Harold? Is Harold you? Is a third grader in the 60s? It seems like that's the, about the right spot for you. Uh, this kid is so ironic, his thoughts and ideas. Is that you? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, when I started writing it, I... She was writing it just for the hell of it. And then uh, as it went on a little while, like not even like a chapter, like uh, very early on, I thought, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to, you know, the stand up is such short from my stand up, short joke, two, three sentences to make an audience laugh out loud, which is a very specific thing to do that you know, hopefully they laugh out loud, but it's a very narrow window. So when I started writing Harold, I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to put like a funnel on his head and I'm going to pour everything I think about being alive into his head. Like he's thinking it, like he's seeing it. And that way I'll get to say all this stuff that would never go through the narrow window of a joke because I don't know how to do stand up another way. So it's just like, so it was like a, I had other things in my mind and I got to put it in there. And I didn't care that he, a seven year old, wouldn't be thinking that. I didn't, I didn't worry about it. But you know, the beauty of putting it in a seven year old head is that kids are not, they don't censor themselves. And <laughs> as I'm reading the book, I'm thinking, wow, I mean, Harold's thoughts are, they're rational, they're astute, um, they're, they're so honest and, and thought provoking. Like, I'm just going to say a couple of them. Yeah. And, and you can understand how a kid would, would actually think that way. And of course, coming from you. So when you say, oh, you thought he thought that all mass murderers meant that all murders took place in Massachusetts. <laughs> of course. Yeah. 
Of course. Yeah. It's mess. That's how you know it. You know it yeah. is mess. Yeah. And then and then just stuff like the teacher saying, May I have your attention? And he oh, says, yeah. Get your own attention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just so pure. Um, and and I just want to say one other thing. You this was one of the most astute that you said there there should be life guard chairs everywhere because people need to be saved more than just in the water yeah, uh, yeah. how smart yeah. is that that's yeah, so cool that, that's that, that's thank you um you know it, it, all our artists i think are very curious observing because that's where everything comes from music books paintings you you see something and then you do something with it and i think creative people it's just a seven-year kids are automatically like that. They're automatically why, what, 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 what. So you know they're like scientists. I read the uh, toddlers. They're like little. They're you see them. They're always doing something and never just staring at the. They're doing experiments. So my mind is looking like that kind of anyway. And I think because I was having him be seven. I guess I was subconsciously, it was even magnified, but I was just making, I would just drink coffee and I get high on coffee. I get, do you drink coffee? No, oh God, I drink so much coffee before I do a show. I get, I drink three cups back to back in the morning and I ride an exercise bike and then I do that. And then my mind is like, I'm on drugs. So I would only write during, I had a two hour window where I was insane. I was like, and I would just make stuff up during that. And when it wore off, then I would stop. But I had no mapped out. I had nothing mapped out. It was just like every day I would just try to do 200 words. If I did, fine. If I didn't, okay. And, I, and that, may I have your attention, please? That was because I was walking through an airport once and that was on the announcement, you know, may I have your attention, please? And just I, under my breath, I said, get your own attention. <laughs> so, so, so when I was writing this book, like things would come up like from before, just things in my life that I thought of. And they would just surface up and then I went, oh, I can, oh, I can just put that there. I'll just put that there. So do you carry a notebook where you write down observations and thoughts, whether it be for jokes or for the book? Yes. I, been, I mean, before the, I used to write it on little scraps of paper. Then I would go home and write that into the notebook. And then when the iPhone happened, then I would, you know, the notes section, I would have a section for, for jokes. And I had some ideas for Harold, but not many. It was mainly come to me when I hmm. would write it. But, you know, um, the stand-up, you're just walking around, you're just doing your life, and then you see a sign or something, and then you say, oh, that could, oh, that could be a joke. If you just, you know, you just, I'd be going through my daily life just and then see something occasionally, and that would be a joke and write it down. But this was different in, the, in that I focused on purpose trying not every day but i was sitting on purpose for two hours in this kit like what could be ha what could be happening i never really did that before so it was just my mind was just like 
And then I got stuff out of my head that I would never have known that was even in there because it, because I was sitting there focusing. It was like, you know, I have like, you know, those caves with the, the drawings on the wall, like cavemen, you know, thousands of years old. Sure. So my mind was like, a, a say you had a cave and it was blocked by a big construction paper. Paper you can't see in because the paper is there. So this, the analogy is I'm sitting there and there's nothing. And I, I made myself sit there and just, you know, even if you're not doing anything, you, a lot of ideas come because you're not doing anything. Anything, not doing anything is something because when you're not trying to think, your mind is like idling on its own and it's thinking anyway without you knowing it. You know, that's why you come up with an idea. It's like the subconscious, oh, this just in. It's almost like you didn't think of it because so I sat and looked at the thing and made myself think. And then I would think of one little thing. So it was like tearing the page, the paper a little bit. Then that would lead to another little thing. And then the the whole thing would just rip open mm. and I'd go into my mind, like the cave, like I was going in my own head. Like I had, you know, it was fun. It was, it was a fun experience. I only wrote it when I was having fun. When that wore off, I stopped. So you, you use birds um, as the messengers basically for thoughts that go in, in and out of uh, Harold's head. And I wondered um, why birds. And then I had a theory is it because of the, 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 the expression, a little birdie told me? <laughs> no, it wasn't because I can see how you would think that. But I thought of the birds in the rectangle before I even was writing Harold years ago. Like, just as a, you know, again, something comes into your mind. It was like, oh, maybe, you know, imagine if your head was full of tiny birds or all thighs, a little rectangle. All, all just one thing not like well, what could the birds do well what could they just like all at once your head is full of birds their thoughts they go through the rectangle and that indicates why you're thinking like because like, when you're walking down the street and you're thinking well you know i'm going to the store and then you're thinking i wonder how tall bobby Orr is <laughs> <laughs> and, you know my everyone's mind is like a little Times square an insane asylum <laughs> and and <laughs> And I thought of that years ago. And then when I started writing it, like I told you, things would come back to me. I was like, oh, yeah, the birds. Oh, yeah, the rectangle. Oh, I know. I'll just install that in his head. And then unintentionally, but then it allowed me a logical way to change the subject constantly. Yeah. And, 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 and. Go ahead, okay. Sue. No, I was going to say that, you know, the, the obscurity of, of some of the things that, that the, the people that you came up with for the bird, like Al Jolson, oh. you know, and, oh. and, and, and Claude Rains. And actually, comic to comic, I want to ask you, because I there were times in my stand up where I would tell a joke and sometimes only like a handful of people would get the joke and didn't bother me because just for those people, I would mm. continue doing the joke because mm. just because yeah. I, I love that just those people got it. And it, that was okay for me. Um, do you feel that way with some of your writing? Well, with the book, you don't know. The book was like telling a joke. It took seven years to tell. And then you don't know how it's going to be received. Mm -hmm. But 
I have jokes that I've left in my act that on a scale of one to 10, they get about a two or a three. And there's no logic. There's no, this should be thrown out. Are you crazy? And it's like, I just have a connect, endearing and connected to it. And I don't care that the show will, will go down at this point and then go back up. I don't, I don't care. I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> so let's, let's talk stand up. Uh, you are uh, one of the greatest stand-up comics of all time. That's just not me. Rolling Stone named you the 15th greatest uh, stand-up in, in history. Um, what is it? Were, were you born to do this? Did you know this as a kid? How, how did you uh, sink your teeth into stand-up comedy? Well, I have an older brother. He's four years older than me, and we would be up on Friday nights. Everyone else would be sleep and we loved johnny carson and we had to watch johnny carson because he was in control of the television because we had to watch what he you know no remote control so he's sitting on the floor and i was on the couch and i started to watch it because he and then i started to like it and when johnny went to a commercial he would have his hand on the channel changer and he'd go to the two other channels to see what was on <laughs> you know to, you know like and like and then go but thinking maybe is the commercial over no, it's not over. And then he'd come back and watch Johnny. But so that was it. Seeing these people come out for five minutes, talking about life, making jokes about what they've seen and everything. One guy after another, you know, guys I can't even remember. But but the you know, of course, Carlin was the the top guy. Carlin, Richard Pryor, Robert Klein, David Brenner. This is like in in seventy three to seventy three all the way up, and I just became fascinated by the concept of that, and I thought, well, and then go out and sit with Johnny, like it was like a, it was like, oh my god, look at this, this is amazing. <laughs> so from watching it over and over, I got like a private daydream that I wouldn't tell anyone because I was very superstitious. I thought if I told anyone, it won't happen. But I thought, oh, I would like to be one of those guys. And then coincidentally, speaking of Bobby Orr, this is insane that it ties in. This is totally by accident. <laughs> but Bobby Orr and the Bruins, remember that time when they were the greatest hockey team? So I would be in my bed listening to the radio listening to the game and one night I turned the dial a little bit and I stumbled on this show where a guy played two comedy albums every Sunday night he played mm. a cut from back to back to back Sunday night and I tuned into that for like two years and I'm laying in bed in the dark and I'm studying it without knowing it I'm just studying it because I love it and I'm thinking, oh, I like that. Oh, I like that. That guy. Oh, that's in oh, I don't like. I don't like that. You know, and the Woody Allen. You know, Woody Allen made that double album. You know, his album. Be I didn't even know he was did stand up. It was a movie guy. It was a movie guy. And then I hear the album, and the, within the album, there were jokes. And I thought, and I, that's how I learned the structure of a joke. So I was two years. I'm not thinking, oh, I'm going to study stand-up. I don't even know I'm studying it. I'm just interested in it. So then the Tonight Show, Tonight Show, and then the, this show, Radio, and it was just like all going in my head. So you had the all-time holy grail of sets uh, for a comedian. On your first, it was your first national 
uh, television appearance. And um, you get called over to sit with Johnny, which very rare for someone, their first appearance. Uh, Carson is smitten with you, doesn't know what to do with you. He just loves you so much. So impressed that he invites you back less than a week later. So I know how much work goes into preparing a TV shot, um, especially early on in your career. Um, did you have another set prepared? And were you, were you nervous that you may not have the amount of time to work on it before you went on again? Uh, remember, Jim McCauley was the talent coordinator. And he called me up. This first show I went on was Friday. And he called me up on Wednesday. And he was talking about the Tonight Show. And I thought he was going over the one that happened. And he said, no, 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 no. no. We want you to go on again. I said, what do you mean go on again? You, yeah, we think, you know. And I, it, and I said, but I have like 14 minutes of good material. I said, if I go on again, that's three years is gone. Well, almost gone, roughly gone, three years. And he said, yeah, but if you go on twice in one week, it'll be un- no one does that. And then he said this thing, which I this was so simple and disturbing. He said, you're going to have to write new stuff anyway. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is, Sue. You know how these little little grains of sand come and then you assemble and then you get, oh, I have another minute. Like, so I just said, yeah, I guess what he's saying. Yeah, I guess I'm going to have to do it. And then so I did it. But I didn't have, I went out there to put this set figured out. But I didn't have, because I didn't know there was another. So then I looked at what I had left. And then I assembled another one. And he would go with me to the improv and the comedy store. He would go the night before or two nights before and watch I've had so many lucky flukes in my in my life, and I I know because a lot of it. I know I'm talented, but this shit that has nothing to do with that that just li- lines up. Like even Peter LaSalle seeing me in the ding hall, like oh oh, you know that whole story. You know, just like amazing. So. You know, I do a radio show every day, and I've got this big, loud, clownish kind of persona. You um, do? Yeah, I do. Believe <laughs> I it or not. I, I, no, I'm not sarcastic. I've never seen you ever. I can't believe that that's too, it's a whole other thing. It's, it's a whole other. I've got a persona for the radio and a persona <laughs> for life. Um, and I wonder if you, <laughs> persona for life. Do, do you have that? Is there a separation between you on stage and you as a person? Well, this is how I speak, as you can tell. And I was extremely introverted. And, you know, public speaking is horrifies people. It's the number one, you know, more than death. I've read that. I can't believe it's more than death. But have you ever heard that? Yes, I have. It's, it's like, it's like, so here I am. I want to do this, but I'm a complete introvert. I mean, I forced myself to go to the open mic in Comedy Connection because I wanted this dream. I told you the Tonight Show, the radio things. Oh, 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 and then a club opens up in Boston. I hear it on the radio. This is a club. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I don't have to move to New York or Los Angeles. I was 23. I didn't have the care. I wasn't a person that's going to move to Los Angeles. 
You know, I was just a suburban, uh, I don't know what I was talking about. Uh, you about? versus a your, your, your persona. persona kind of. Oh, oh. So I talk like this anyway, and then I go out and I'm horrified. So I'm even more nothing expression because I'm scared out of my mind. Hmm. And I'm just simply trying to say the joke the right way. Now say the next joke the right way. I'm concentrating the hell out of the whole thing. The fact that what I'm saying is funny. I'm hoping they're going to laugh, but I'm at work. I'm, I'm trying to say what's next. My analogy I used to use is like if you drove into Disneyland and there was like a, they were putting a 50 foot Mickey Mouse up who's slipping on a banana peel. They're, they're assembling, <laughs> they got the crane. You can see part of the mouse. You can see the, they're bringing in the banana peel. Those guys aren't laughing. Back that up here, Freddie. Back that up. You know, when it's assembled, it'll be, oh, look at him. He's slipping. So it was, say, what can I say? What can I, I didn't hide. I was too fragile to even fake that I wasn't scared. So the fact that I was, I talk like this anyway, and I was scared just meshed with these abstract jokes. It just meshed by accident. And now I'm not scared, but I'm still I'm like, what saying it, saying it, what's next? What's the next one? What's hmm. the next one? Do you, you ever think about how crazy it is that, you know, being a comedian, like, you know, I don't do stand up anymore, but I used to always think, God, you know, what we do for a living, you know, and how, like going to parties and people, you know, always, and, and maybe just being in show business, people always asking you, you know, what are you doing? Like, you know, what's going on? What's going on? And, you know, whatever. And I, and I always think, and I'm not doing a bit, but it's like, you could go, you could take any other profession. Like I, I doubt like when you ask a, a dentist, um, Hey, what's, what's going on? <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't have to try to, you know, come up with something to prove, you know, how good he is or what's going on in his life as a dentist, you know, like he's not going to say like, Oh, I, I just booked a root canal and, um, and I got a bridge in the can. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it, it's such a bizarre way of living. I, I, I think. I I agree. They don't. They don't. They don't ask that. It's it's this weird thing. What are you doing? What are you working on? What's next? Like the dentist, you're not going. You know, he's a dentist. It's but that somehow, if you're in show business, there's an unwritten law. They're not. They're not jerks. The people, but there's somehow a line up that you can ask these people with you doing and what they're doing in their career. These people, it's fine. Actor, musician, comedian. I don't know why it's fine, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. It is. It's, it's like, it's not, it's part of it is like, why I, part of it is like it's invasion of privacy. The door opens, a guy can, you're sitting in the living room, a guy comes in and goes, what do you work? What's up next? <laughs> what? <laughs> Right, like right. you, like you at the party. Right. Well, you know, years ago, I got invited to, um, and I'll, I'll say who it is. Michael Patrick King is a very good friend of mine. So he had a a, a big part, big showbiz party at his house. And Whoa. when you walked to the front door, 
in a bucket on his porch, he had little pieces of folded up paper and you would take one and, and that would be who you were for the night. So no one was allowed to talk about showbiz. No one was allowed to talk about their career. So you oh, would wow. just kind of talk about like if you were um, a, a painter, you would just talk about being a painter. <laughs> it was kind of like an improv kind of weird evening, but it was, it was so, um, uh, what's the word for it? I mean, it just was liberating to not I was gonna always, say liberating. to just not have to, you know, feel shitty if you weren't, if you didn't have anything going on in your career. Which, which was on your paper. Do you remember what was on oh, your God, paper? Oh God, I, you know, I, I don't remember. I don't remember. But, but it, that's a fin- fantastic idea. What a great idea. And he was doing it on purpose, right? To remove the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is like, if you have nothing going on, it's like, it's like a measurement by strangers. Like you walk, it's being judged by total strangers. Oh, and I got nothing. I might be going on the road in about two months. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and you could actually you could actually feel people being uncomfortable for you and and actually looking around to see who else they could talk to oh who maybe God. has more going on in their life. It is. It's the only business like that. <laughs> so you won an Academy Award for live action short. It's called The Appointments of Dennis Jennings. Um, how did that project come about? What was your Oscar night like, your red carpet, all, all that kind of business? Well, how it came about is I, uh, I thought maybe HBO would be interested in a short film. So I asked my, told my agent, and he said, uh, I don't know, well, let, me, let me ask him, why don't you go over and meet him? And I said, would you be interested? I don't even remember if it was an in-person meeting. But they said, yes, we, we would like to do that. So then, uh, you know, oh, Mike, Mike, this is perfect. Mike, Mike, when we were in college, became friends with Mike in 1976. And then when college, in the summer of 70, I graduated in 78. And he was, everyone I knew was two years behind me because I transferred from another school. So when I was a fresh, when I was a junior, they were all freshmen. Anyway, Mike was the head of the paint crew. They would paint the dorms in the summer Hmm. paint everything. And I was on the paint crew and I would paint with Mike. So me and Mike were always in the same room. And if Mike was involved too, like when, with the idea, he, he, I was going to do it with him. So I went to the thing and they agreed. And then I came back to Mike and I said, Mike, they say they want to do it. Now, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do? Cause we had no ideas but we've been joking in a room for years, and quite often the psychiatrists came up a lot that we would joke about psychiatrists once in the painting in the room just during our friendship. And then we thought, well, why, maybe we should do it on psychiatrists. And that's how it happened. So creative. Mike's mind. Mike's mind. Oh, God, the two I of mean, you, the two of you in a room. I don't, I, I, my head would explode. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, Steve actually met Mike. I had a, uh, my husband threw a, uh, a party from birthday party for me a couple of years ago. And, uh, he met Mike for the first, Mike Armstrong. I did, Mike. I yeah. did meet Mike. He oh, he's felt hysterical. like he knew me. 
Really? <laughs> he didn't actually know me. So he had a conversation like, how you been? Uh, obviously, what have you been working on? When was the last <laughs> time I saw you? I'm like, no, I'm meeting you for the first time. That's <laughs> oh, he thought he met you already. <laughs> he thought we he thought we had a, uh, some sort of friendship bond. Which <laughs> so I played along. I, I played along. <laughs> <laughs> did you? So, but did you? You told him you never met. Before. No, he thinks we're still friends from way back. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> So, so I wanted to, so okay no cat Steve good uh, I was gonna ask so Oscar night that's gonna be like crazy right you got the red carpet you got the the speech ready did you think you were gonna win all that kind of stuff before that um, we'd make the HBO we film it we're done with it and we give it to HBO and it's thirty five minutes long they didn't have a didn't have to be an exact thing and then they get it and then they decide uh let's play this in theaters before we put it on HBO. We'll put it in New York and Los Angeles because that makes it eligible for an Academy Award. Yeah, yeah. That was their idea. We didn't mm. think of that. So then we had to cut out. It had to be 30 minutes for Academy Award. So then we had to cut out five minutes. We, there was a lot of stuff that had nothing to do with <laughs> it was just weirdness. <laughs> it didn't make the story. Barely there was a story. So we cut it out and we gave it to them. And then they played it in New York and LA and then it was nominated and then it won. I mean, my analogy is like the show was a dart. The, the Dennis Jennings was a dart and we threw it to HBO and a gust of wind blew it like 50 miles off to the right and stuck in the middle of something. Where did it go? Oh my God. So, you know, it's a, that's how it happened. I mean, I told you there's so many flukes, you know, so it's, we didn't, we didn't even make it for the, to play in theaters, but then we go there and it's, it was, I don't remember the red carpet. I don't think we walked down a red carpet. We went in like just proud of the audience. Cause I don't remember that at all. And then, uh, it Did you have a speech ready? It, it was it was surreal. It was just surreal. I think when I was sitting there, I thought of what I actually said. I didn't have it prepared for a week or anything. I, I probably oh I know because again, being superstitious, I thought if I had it all prepared, it wouldn't happen. It ruin it. Do you have that so? Absolutely. I never never want to tell people stuff it, because it won't turn out. Yeah, like, do you have that, Steve? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, Sue's got like six secret projects we won't tell me about. She won't tell me about. <laughs> I've, I've got just one. I'm not as enterprising as, as Sue is, but I have no idea what she, she's working on really good stuff, I'm assuming, but I don't know exactly what it is. Well, in the book, I told like five people for seven years, only five people. Because I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to ruin it, and I didn't want to talk about it. How's the book going? How's the book going? How's the, book? you know, like, and, and so, but so I'm sitting there. I think sitting there, I thought of that line. If we, if I went up, this is what I'm going to say. Hmm. You know, we 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 this. What did I, I said? Uh, this is for the short film category, and we're really happy now that we cut out the other sixty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> seeing the movie stars, Michelle Pfeiffer and, and, and who gave it Martin short and uh, who's the woman from star Wars. The, the, uh, Jerry Fisher. I Jerry watched Fisher. that acceptance speech. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, yeah. Just, just that. And you see, uh, 
all these people, you know, you don't see these people. And then you're really there. Very mm. strange, very fantastic. Dean Pariso, I just talked to him two hours ago. He directed it. And mm. so as an actor, you've worked on some really cool movies. You've got uh, you've worked with great directors, Oliver Stone, Jim Jarmusch. Uh, does acting come naturally to you? Is it like uh, some sort of branch of stand-up? How does that work? Acting is very hard for me. It's so hard for me to say something I didn't make up. I mean, even just to memorize is, is a burden to me. I mean, it would be better if they just said, this is the point you got to get across, just however you want to do with me. Okay, let's go because the car is on fire, you know. Rather than what they had written down, it's very awkward. But I, you know, I liked doing all of it though, because the stand so different, as you know. The stand up, you go out and sixty minutes later, it's over. The acting is like ten second shows, thirty second shows. Cut, cut, do it again, do it again. There's no doing it again in the stand up. Right, it's a whole other thing. Right, but I enjoyed doing it though. Yeah. And there were times where I, I've done a little bit of acting where you feel like, oh, they keep on telling me to do it different. They, so they probably don't think I'm good. Like, are they second guessing that they cast me? <laughs> you know? and, but they're really just adjusting it. Like, yeah. Yes. So stand up is now a bit of a minefield, right? Things you could say 10, 20 years ago, you wouldn't say today. Uh some some things are getting comics in trouble. Has comedy gotten harder to do, or do you just have to be smarter at it? I didn't think this would ever affect me because I'm talking about such. But about three years ago, it was you know it was almost like when the tide comes in, slowly comes in. I said, "This tide of that you can't say that. This tide is never going to reach my feet. I'm not even near the shore." But it slowly went in, and I would be saying things I said for years, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, 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 oh my God, how dare you that? Oh, oh, oh. So it affected some, you know, like a handful of jokes. It did affect me. And then I took out a great joke. I took it out for about a year, and then I thought, I know how I'm going to get it back in. And then I would <laughs> look at so, <laughs> you know, okay. And I thought, and right in the middle, I'm going to say, would you like to hear a politically incorrect joke? Yes, yes. Okay, you're going to have to sign a release. The ushers, <laughs> the ushers are going to bring down, you're going to have to sign this that you agree to hear this joke. You know, like I'm taking the whole thing, like if they're upset, even though they probably all didn't want to hear it, but I'm getting, I'm, go, I'm going around it. And then I would say the joke. Big giant laugh, but also that sound when they're disturbed. I say it is like in the movies, in the 50s movies, when there's a courtroom scene and something happens in the court and the people watching the trial. You know that noise? Uh, so that was that's mixed in with the laugh. And even though I did this thing about going around it, that still it was mixed in. And then I, like, after they laugh, and I put my hands up like this, and then I bowed completely straight down, you know, like the Beatles when that song was over. <laughs> I bowed completely, like, almost like, I did it. 
I got it in any way. I got it in any way. You can't, I can't even be in trouble. I had a loop law, a loophole around it. Well, that is a great victory. I'll, I'll never forget Jackie Martland on the cover of, I wonder, I think maybe his first album. It was a class picture from elementary school and he's sitting up front. And if you look closely, you see that he's got his middle finger up. <laughs> and it made it into the picture. And that's on the class. album. Yeah, but that was oh. his class picture. Oh, no one, the, the photographer didn't notice it and they let that picture go out. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's fantastic. <laughs> there he is right there at that age. Yep. Fed up with the rules. That's right. He was Harold. Yes. Yes. Speaking of Harold, I got one last thing for you. So there's a point in the book where Harold gets the idea from his grandfather that being in love with somebody is like gambling and that love is like a birthday cake that might have poison in it, which I love. What's, what is your view of love now? It, 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 you don't, it, it's a minefield. You don't know, you know, like in a birthday cake with poison in it. There's another thing where it says that you're on a seesaw and one end has nitroglycerin under the end, but you don't know which end it is. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and, and then there's another line that I like that I don't even know what it means, but it sounds like it means something where the grandfather tells him that, being in love is like gambling with the idea of yourself. Mm. And at first uh -huh. I thought that makes no sense. That doesn't even make sense. It sounds like it makes sense. And then as I saw it over and over, cause it was in there for so long, I thought, well, maybe that does make sense. Cause you're like, you're like putting yourself out there gambling. Oh, is this gambling with the idea? Like, is this person going to be into this? But in my history, it doesn't, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, well, listen, this is, uh, this has been great. It's, it's exciting to have you on the show. I'm a huge fan, uh, strong recommendation for your book, Harold. It is so much fun. And, uh, Stephen, we really appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Very nice to meet you. Nice to see you again, Sue. Really, too, this Stephen. was fun. This was absolutely fun. I really enjoyed it. There he is, Stephen Wright, who is, I mean, literally comedy royalty, right? Oh, my God. He's so funny. You know, I was thinking that I don't think anybody has ever said to somebody, you know, you remind me of Stephen Wright. <laughs> no, that's yeah, a really good point. Yeah. No. The style is so original. It's like, it's amazing nobody has said, hey, I'm going to do the Stephen Wright thing because I don't think anybody else can do it. You couldn't. You could yeah. never pull that off. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, well, really cool to have him on the show. Don't forget, uh, subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, you can see the amazing pictures that go along with what we're, what we're saying. Uh, Sue, it's great seeing you. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. <laughs>